I'm Jeff Hebert, and welcome to my podcast, Gospel Wabi Sabi. This is season four, episode five on Jonah. Uh, we're doing a series going through the Minor Prophets, and today's topic is going to be God Takes You As Is, and we're going to be reading in Jonah chapter one, starting with verse 17. If you're new to this podcast, I'll be explaining the Wabi Sabi part of it in just a few minutes, but if you're a regular listener to this podcast, I hope you would also consider becoming a financial supporter. I could use your assistance in this, and there's information in the program description about how you can help do that by becoming a financial supporter. Are you one of those uh, eager shoppers always looking for a bargain? You know, many stores always have a clearance section with merchandise at greatly reduced prices and special tags that say, as is. That's a euphemistic way of saying damaged goods, slightly irregular. The store is giving you fair warning that these items are from the something's gone wrong department. There's a flaw, you know, a zipper that won't zip, a stain, a broken button. Something's not quite right. They're not going to tell you what that flaw is. You got to find it on your own. And when you do, don't come whining to them about it because the number one rule on the bargain table is no returns, no refunds, no exchanges. You take it as is. In his book, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them, John Ortberg writes that when you deal with human beings, you have to come to them as is. Think of the people in your life, the ones you know and love the best. Each person is slightly irregular, a streak of deception, a cruel tongue, a passive spirit, an out-of-control temper, some selfishness. There's something. Each of us needs a little tag that says as is, because there's a flaw here. There's some slight damage. We can't always tell you where it is. And sometimes you find it out on your own. So if you want to enter a relationship with anyone, there's only one way to do it, and that's as is. Why does God love and use imperfect people? Because that's the only kind there are. The list of Bible characters that mess up, that are imperfect and flawed, is very long. There are a lot of high-profile people in Scripture who should have been wearing an as-is tag. A lot of people who could have used a few sessions with Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, Dr. Ruth, Dr. Seuss, somebody. Whenever you read through the Bible, what you find is a diverse assortment of imperfect people. And it's possible that maybe your story will then connect with one of theirs. Because as the Bible says, we all like sheep have gone astray. And maybe as you read the stories of imperfect people, you discover how much God loves you and desires to use you in this as-is world. That's a bit of what the Japanese phrase wabi-sabi is all about. Uh, if I use it in a spiritual sense, it describes the love that God has for imperfect people of this world, how he sees their value, and even how he enlists them in the cause of his kingdom. So in this podcast, we're going to take a quick look at a very familiar person, Jonah. I'm actually going to do two weeks on Jonah just because it's such a fascinating story. So consider this as part one, and next podcast will be part two on Jonah. Even people who don't know anything about the Bible usually know something about the story of Jonah because it's a popular favorite for children's Sunday school classes, preschool musicals, VeggieTale videos. But Jonah is not just a children's story. In fact, Jonah is a really complex psychological and spiritual drama for grown-ups. Now, you remember Jonah. He's always known as the reluctant prophet. God called him to go to the city of Nineveh and preach there. And Nineveh was in Assyria, what would be today northern Iraq. Geographically, the modern city of Mosul is where Nineveh would have stood. G uh, Jonah wasn't thrilled about the job. 
Assyria was the arch enemy of God's people. And Jonah, quite frankly, he didn't want the Ninevites to repent. He wanted God to smash them. Jonah was prejudiced, bigoted, stubborn, angry, spiritually insensitive. Other prophets ran to the Lord. Jonah ran from him. Others preached with fervent zeal. Jonah wasn't motivated at all. Somewhere he got his inner direction messed up. His, inner, his internal compass kind of failed. So when God called him to go to Nineveh, Jonah wound up on a ship bound for Tarshish, which is as far west as you could possibly go out on the coast of Spain, all the way to the other end of the Mediterranean Sea. It was literally as far away from Nineveh as it was humanly possible for Jonah to travel. It was not on the Google Maps route to Nineveh. It'd be like flying from Boston to London via Los Angeles. So off he goes in the totally wrong direction. Well, we know God didn't give up on Jonah. You know what happened. Jonah never made it to Tarshish. There was a storm brewing, not just in the Mediterranean, but in Jonah's heart. And when the ship was in danger of sinking, Jonah got tossed overboard by the ship's crew. And that's where we're going to pick up with the story from Jonah chapter 1, starting with verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet will I look again towards your holy temple." The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah began to get his head together in the digestive tract of a gigantic fish. What a place to start over. What a place to make a new beginning in life. Slopping around in gastric juice, seaweed, and sushi. But in the belly of the fish, Jonah had a chance to take a long, hard look at his short, rebellious life. Now, God has Jonah's undivided attention, and boy, does he pray. I mean, he really prays. And maybe this was for the very first time. You know, just as there are no atheists in foxholes, there are no rebels in fish stomachs. Jonah says in verse 2 that he found himself in the depths of the grave. The Hebrew term is Sheol, which really refers to the region of, of, of death. Jonah is admitting that he's as good as dead, but God heard his prayer, reached out, and rescued him. Now, some people get hung up on Jonah being swallowed by the big fish. They dismiss the story as just a myth, a fairy tale. It didn't really happen. Now, it is possible that the story of Jonah is one long parable, that it's not a real historical event. It could be just a parable where Jonah actually represents the people of Israel who never took up God's commission for them to bless all the nations of the earth with their knowledge of God. But Jesus does refer to Jonah in Matthew 12, verse 40. He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
Now, that's a pretty important comparison. Jonah in the fish and the crucified Christ in the grave. So I'm going to kind of lean in the direction that Jonah was a real historical person, and I think he did get swallowed. Historically, there are some reports of sailors swallowed by whales who were eventually recovered alive. In February 1891, the Star of the East, which was a whaling ship from Liverpool, England, was hunting whales in the South Atlantic near the Falkland Islands. One of their small boats was dragged under by the whale, and they eventually caught that whale. And as they were cutting it up, they came to the stomach where they were shocked to see something moving around inside. They quickly sliced open the stomach and found one of their missing sailors, a man named James Bartley. Now he was alive inside and they pulled him out. Now he was delirious for two straight weeks, but eventually it's said that he recovered. Sir Francis Fox wrote of Bartley in the British papers, and I quote, His skin, where it was exposed to the action of the gastric juices, face, neck, and hands, were bleached to a deadly whiteness and took on the appearance of parchment and never recovered its natural appearance, though otherwise his health did not seem affected by his terrible experience. Now, could this just be some kind of a seaman's yarn? Sure, maybe it is. But something similar could have happened to Jonah, and I think it's possible. I think God is big enough to orchestrate our circumstances any way he wants to when he's really trying to get our attention. And can you imagine Jonah coming into Nineveh with his skin and hair bleached white? That certainly would have gotten people's attention. But as he sank beneath the deep, everything seemed lost. If God had done nothing, Jonah's fate would have been sealed. Though deep in despair as well as water, Jonah prays in verse 7, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. Jonah prayed. I mean, he couldn't help it. He prays to one that he knows personally, not some impersonal force. I may know that there's a bank around the corner, but that doesn't make me rich. I may know that God exists, but that does nothing for me for my life unless I'm in relationship with God through faith in Christ. And just knowing God exists isn't the same thing as being in relationship with him. God wants me to live in that daily connection with him. And that means he has a purpose and a calling upon my life and your life, just as he did for Jonah's life. Now, most of what Jonah prays may sound kind of familiar because it actually comes from the Psalms. Not much is original in his prayer, and that's fine. Because our prayers don't have to be creative, they have to be sincere. We may run away from God like Jonah, and as we pray, we begin to realize that we may spiritually sink as deep as Jonah did. Yet God will not abandon us. Jonah was thrown out of a ship, but not out of the sight and the grace of God. Likewise, we have Jesus' promises, John 6.37, I will never cast you out. So Jonah re-enlists in God's service, renewing his commitment to his prophetic office in verse 9 with a song of thanks. Now we could easily skip over Jonah's concluding words without grasping their implication. The prophet admits in verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord. The word comes could also be translated belongs, and this is really the main theme of the entire Bible and the key verse for this book. Salvation belongs to God. Salvation comes from God. Salvation is a gift. God isn't obligated to give salvation to those who think they deserve it, those who think they've earned it by doing good works or by being a good person. No, salvation comes to those who realize how utterly lost they are apart from God, who give up trying to run away, who give up trying to make it on their own, who give up believing in their own good works. Salvation comes from the Lord, and it is given to those who realize they've got a huge as-is tag hanging around their necks. 
God wanted Jonah with all his rebellious flaws. God loved Jonah, even when Jonah ran from him. God sought him out and brought him back. God gave Jonah an undeserved new beginning, which was also what he was going to do for the people of Nineveh. But do you know that about yourself? Do you know that your new beginning is a gift from God? It's undeserved, it's surprising, it's amazing, it's extravagant, simply because God loves you and desires to use you in this world? In some ways, we are all just like Jonah. God has a call upon your life, just as Jonah had a call on his life. The calls might be different, but God is calling nevertheless. Have you dodged and ducked, squirmed and squealed? I hope you don't wait to respond to God's call until you're being swallowed up by your circumstances. If God can turn a Jonah around, he can do it for you. God specializes at taking things that are broken and confused and making them useful and beautiful. That's the wabi-sabi. Are you responding to God's call to a new beginning, or are you blocking his voice? Some people get confused about the message of the gospel. The gospel message is not, God loves you just the way you are, period. Uncritically accept, uncritical acceptance. God affirms you, accepts you, accepts you as you are, condones your lifestyle, and requires nothing from you. Friends, that is not the gospel. God loves you just the way you are. That's only half the story. The second half is God loves you just the way you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. God loved Jonah as he ran away, but Jonah needed to turn back. He needed to repent. He needed to surrender his life to God and to get back on the right path in obedience to the Lord. It would be cruel for the Lord to say he loved us and then left us sitting in fish juice. God invites us to respond to him, to make a new beginning through Jesus Christ. And just like with Jonah, God wants to minister to you so you can, so he can minister through you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a spiritual all-star. You just have to begin to respond to God's call and follow his will for your life. And what are you afraid of? The famous psychologist Abraham Maslow coined the phrase the Jonah complex to describe a certain kind of fear, the fear of actually reaching a better way of life, of living up to our potential of blocking our own destiny, running away from one of our own best our own best possibilities. We fear responding to God because there is some risk inherent in responding to his call. We believe it is always easier and more comfortable to stay where we are because responding to God's call always involves some degree of movement, of action. And I think deep down we fear that the call will conflict with our true agenda. So are you blocking God's call in your life? Are you going in the wrong direction? Are you keeping yourself so distracted with busyness that you can't hear God's call on your life at all? Well, don't do that. Take the time you need to listen for God's call, to read the Bible, let God speak to you, to begin to pray again daily, to listen for God's call and ask yourself, what would really happen if I really responded to God's call? Would it mean changes in the way that you think about life, about yourself, your past, your future? Would it change your priorities, your anxieties, your activities? Would it change the way you think about your money and tithing and success and prestige, about family and relationships? Well, you bet it would. Everybody can have a new beginning by responding to God's call on their life this year. Let me close with these words from Richard Halverson, who was a former chaplain of the United States Senate. Uh, if you're a supporter of this podcast, I'll include this qu quote in this week's email. Well, here it is. Wherever you go, 
God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. He has a purpose in your being there. Christ who indwells you has something he wants to do through you. Believe this and go in his grace and love and power. Have a great week. We'll be back with part two about Jonah next time. Take care.